So we take the precepts, bringing the precepts to mind. And you can look at the various, you know, details of the precepts, the specific instructions, how they might and we express those in terms of our behaviour, our external qualities of that, and we react to the world and so forth. We can also look at it internally in terms of what's it doing to our hearts, our energies, our attitudes, how's that cup giving us some sense of an internal support. As it said, you know, Sile Nisukating Yanti, this is a vehicle towards Sukating, which has gone to fulfillment. See in the Boga Sampada, this has gone to Boga Sampada. Boga is a treasure, a blessedness, fulfilled, blessed quality. See in the Nipputing Yant, it's gone to coolness of passion. Cool, steady, rich, abundant. Uh, so there's a little more to it than just um, behaving correctly. It gives us a centre. You could say the heart has got a proper centre to it. And so that we can bear in mind and keep returning to it. When you recognise that these precepts are termed negatively, what I don't do. So there's no pressure to create something, to go out and help whatever, you know. It's a sense just refrain from. It's like a release from particular energies that drive the heart out into unskillful behaviour. Are often compulsive and reactive. You let go of that. In return, you return to something that's quite fulfilled and comfortable and contented. And sukating means happy. Happy skillful happiness. And it's important to get that sense because even something like precepts we can maintain as a feeling of guilt, inadequacy, moral rectitude, really uncomfortable experiences. And basically, you know, the precepts are there for happiness, internal happiness, and naturally for the happiness of others, freeing them from fear, mistrust, defensiveness, you know. Confusion, being manipulated. It's very striking. Because in some of these longer discourses you see the um, the various gods and devas are talking about this, that and the other. And in one of these big meetings of a big kind of samagi meeting and all these various Brahma deities get together and say, what's this Buddha teach? What's he talking about this? Oh, he teaches this. It's a really good, good way to get happy. Yeah, what is it? I keep in the precepts. It's really good. It makes you feel really good. <laughs> so you can see they weren't they weren't looking at judging other people. No heaven, no kind of, you know, we're better than they are or condemning others. It just say it makes us feel really good. Because <laughs> it reigns in the giddiness, you know, the, the silliness, the frivolity, the distractedness because we feel really comfortable therefore we don't really need to go out and do all kinds of crazy stuff because we got this <laughs> and that kind of epitomizes you know, in a very practical way yeah. these are not complicated esoteric statements but if you really get the meaning of it the feeling of it these are not moral judgments you said return to a steady center that you feel good about yeah. <laughs> so you can bring them to mind. Now you can keep precepts without bringing them to mind, and then it just becomes, say, uh, something I do or don't do, or do on the opposite of the days. But then just getting to through a day and recognizing there was a real sense of not wanting to harm creatures. That was kind of beautiful. Yeah. I'm trying to get my speech to be as straight and honest, worth listening to as possible, and refrain from silliness, gossip, slandering, backbiting. This is better. You know, I did that. Right. That's good. And then you feel 
the result of a chitta, a heart that's trained in that way, it begins to feel comfortable in itself. It's so important because, of course, that's what we do. We seek comfort. We seek security and we seek comfort. Well, we don't, but that's what the heart does. And this very heart that seeks security and comfort, yeah, this is the one that the Buddha said you can, you can, this is the vehicle, this is the system, this is the intelligence, this is the sensitivity that can fully practice, fully looked into, fully entered into, fully encouraged. This is that which realizes deathlessness. When it does no longer grasping. So you begin here. You can do this. You can do it. And that's the also the epitome of the Buddha's teaching. It makes you feel good and you can do it. It's accessible. And you as you get in there, gradually new perspectives open up. You know, once you're getting a bit more contented with that, things calm down and you okay. Yeah, I don't really feel less need to occupy myself, distract myself. And I can deep, deepen into that sense of inner qualities that arise in the jitta. Remembering, though it's, it's kind of more subtle to remember that Right within all that, you know, the qualities of emotions and feelings and urgencies and worry and joyfulness, but there's an internal centre within that that enables you to sense it, to know it. This is the very same sense as the sense that is moral. You can recognise impulses and you can recognise particular energies and habits. No, no. Relates that. What is it that knows that? It's not a thought. No, no thoughts may occur with it. The fundamental sensing of skillful, unskillful, that which gets it, that, that, that's which can be released. That can be released from suffering on a very deep and thorough way. But we begin there. Because we can do that. But of course, the issue really is to, to sustain you know, one, one's acknowledgement of that, one's attention to that, one's conscious recognition of that. Because the mind is so fleeting. How do you sustain it? Well, the Buddha's encouragement recommendation is mindfulness of body is essential. You don't realize the deathless without mindfulness of body. Deathless is lost on those who don't have mindfulness of the body. Pretty straightforward teaching. So what's that got to do with ethics or liberation? Body? Knees? Feet? What's that got to do with anything? <laughs> That's not going to get liberated. Yeah, it's true. But you begin to, as you get some sense of the teaching, and not just the teaching, but the way the way the Buddha practiced it and encouraged it, you can see he actually spent time going to the immaterial states when he was unenlightened. He'd go into these astral states or immaterial states, he'd be out there. And then he'd come down again, he'd come out of it. So what? Because yeah, it's just, and then he somehow he says, sit, body erect, feeling comfortable, feeling.
feeling secure, father's over there, nobody's bothering me, sitting under a tree, it's cool, peaceful. I'm breathing. Yeah. Feel good. Body feels comfortable, not strained. Heart feels comfortable, not strained. Not ignorant, not confused, not distracted. Oh, could this be worthwhile? I think I'll follow that. Getting that. Getting that. Recognising that. I'll follow this. Where does it go if I really linger and deepen into that? And that's what the body does. It enables one to linger. Thoroughly. Now we might again say, what are you talking about? Body, knees, feet, toenails? Well, not really. So, in this Buddhist exposition, you have body internal, fully external. External body, talking about the quality of the body when it senses something touching it. Right? We call that external sense tactile sense you know, something's touching me body's got that it's wrapped in skin but essentially that which is wrapped in skin has got sensitivity we could say we have a nervous system they didn't have word for nervous system in the time of the Buddha because they probably couldn't detect nerves you know it's very fine filaments so is that. So it's not the meat, it's the intelligence within the, that's in that that senses as pleasant, as painful, something's touching me. Right? Externally. It also senses, I don't feel very well. I'm very tense. I'm kind of I'm all unbalanced. I stand up or not balanced. Uh, internal sense. Nothing to do really with the, the tactile consciousness, but an internal, interoceptive sense. I feel tense. I feel agitated. I feel relaxed. I feel numb. I feel all lopsided. Yeah. Internal sense. So these are both senses that the embodied nervous system can bring us, bring to our attention. And we use this. We don't know we're using it because most of us live in our conceptual intelligence. So what the body's doing is not my business. It gets on with it by itself. It'll give me a signal if it needs some attention, like drop that, it's too hot. But it actually does it without you telling it. <laughs> if you pick up something that's too hot, you don't think, I think this is causing me pain, I'll drop it. I'll make a decision to drop it. <laughs> it just does it, right? So it's got intelligence. Thank goodness. Because <laughs> if you're playing a computer game, <laughs> you, you could easily damage yourself, wouldn't you? Because your mind's somewhere else. Your body goes, oh, brings you back. So that's, that's interesting because it has an intelligence. And we tend so by default to keep imagining our intelligence is something to do with our ability to manage ideas and concepts and symbols, which it is. But that's what we call mental intelligence. One form of intelligence, you have embodied intelligence, which is also extremely important because this is the one that stops you falling over. <laughs> it's a matter of life and death. That's quite, that's quite important, isn't it? Right? And we also have emotional intelligence, which makes us feel whether we're welcome or not welcome, safe or not safe, you know, what other people think about us. What, you know, it's to think about relationships. You know, relationship with our bodies, with other people. With It gets very complicated. Relationships with what we think we should be. And we get this self-image arises in that. 
and it's an emotionally created self-image which is constantly am I good enough, am I good enough, am I good enough and it's an emotional creation a worry and agitation am I okay, what do people think of me have I done good enough, what will I be what have I not been could I be, should I be, what would I be and this emotional agitation stirs up all kinds of thinking right so the emotional stirring of anxiety, doubt, fear, insecurity, and so forth, stirs up all kinds of thinking. We're thinking, oh, I could be this, I could be that, I should be this, I could be that. And then we try to answer it with our thoughts. Right? It's like you put a pan of milk on the stove, right, and you turn the heat on, it starts to bubble. And it starts to overflow. So you, do, you go around skimming off the overflow? No, you turn the heat off. <laughs> or you take the pan off the stove. Taking the pan off the stove is a bodily action. <laughs> you know, turning the heat off is the, is the emotional action. Just, just calm down. So when you're getting these various thoughts going on about you should and could and what, it, what other people think and am I doing the right thing, just what's the emotional temperature? Just turn it down. You know, how do I turn it down? I can't turn it No, you're, you're asking the wrong thing. I can't turn it down. But I, I should be more calm and contented. I should be more comfortable. Yet talking to the wrong thing you're talking to your head it doesn't know how to do it <laughs> I'm a confused unrelaxed tense person that's my problem I'm a confused I'm unrelaxed I've never been able to relax I'm a tense person I can't possibly do it somebody tell me you're talking to the wrong thing and you're creating a self out of it this turbulence creates a person, a self. Now, if you want to turn the heat off, go into your body, internally, externally, nobody's bothering me, okay, internally, oh, a lot of tension, a lot of agitation in my chest, funny feelings running up and down my belly, I feel quite unhappy. Breathing out. Be aware of your entire body, keep expanding your awareness, your back, your fingers, feet, breathe out, oh, keep doing that. Oh, every time your mind comes with but I don't see why I should, I don't see how I can do this. Just keep, refer to the agitation, go back into your body, relax your shoulders, open your chest, breathing out. But you can't sit here breathing out for the rest of your life, you've got to make a living. Yeah, yeah, okay. Feel the agitation. <laughs> well, that's happening, going up into your head again, creating a self who's got to do something, who shouldn't be this way but should be another way, going into your head again. Don't, yeah, yeah everybody does that. Feel the emotion, agitation, worry, getting upset. What's happening in your body? Relax around your throat, your chest, your face, your skin. Open your hands, take a out breath, breathing out. Okay. And then you begin to recognize as that relaxing, releasing, as we do with the precepts, we release unhelpful, unskillful, compulsive energies. And as they calm down, you get a sense of something opening. Oh. You know, this quality like a, that same core, that same central quality of, you know, that has got that sensitivity, ethical sensitivity, it's balanced, it's quiet, it doesn't do anything, it just 
is tuned in. And as things, qualities, as energies, as emotions, as thoughts, as sensations calm down, quiet down, no longer obstruct, something seems to open up. So, what do you think the Buddha was doing? He's sitting under this tree. How long will I sit here for? Is this the best kind of tree to sit under? Perhaps it's the wrong tree. Who does this tree to belong to? Is it okay if I sit here? <laughs> I don't think that. If he did, I'm sure he's just relaxing it. So, you know, just getting down to this very basic sense of how fearful, how agitated, how, you know, uncertain the heart is and how it can be relieved cleared, not blamed, not suppressed, but released just through using his body skillfully. This is something we can do. We may not think this is enlightenment or Nibbana, but it's going in the right direction. So when you get the accessibilities, that is is quite profound. Now can you follow that? Can you follow that? There's the lead. This is taking you out of suffering and stress. That's why the Buddha told it to us. Can you follow that lead? Can you follow the method? Discharge stress. Don't worry about what you should be or could be. That's a mental fabrication. When you think of the future, you're creating something that doesn't exist. Stop doing that. You don't need to. Can you create a future without getting anxious or or impatient? Or fantasizing? No. Stop doing it. You know? And noticing also how these um, these th- qualities, these mental qualities arise that dazzle us, seem absolutely compulsive, seem urgent, how they arise, and what gives them their power. Whereby one can f- remember something that happened five, ten years ago, and it becomes extremely intense and painful and confusing. And that was ten years ago. Well, here's the news. The past doesn't exist either. <laughs> the future doesn't exist. And the past doesn't exist. And you may think, no, the past does exist. Look, I got my birth certificate. I was born. <laughs> Definitely. It was yesterday. No, now you're looking at a piece of paper, aren't you? Now you're looking at a screen, aren't you? Right? That's where you're looking when you say the past exists. You're looking in yourself. Where's the past? Are you looking for guidance from a piece of paper and a Google calendar? You take that your refuge in that as your as your reality? Or would you like to actually get direct reality? What occurs is an intensification, emotional agitation around things that I sense happened years ago but now are happening now it's getting very intense getting excited getting worried getting agitated if it was in the past why is it happening now <laughs> it's not past is it and how come if you've lived for 50 years you only remember the particular incidents that have got some emotional pressure to them. 
You don't remember all the things that were just normal. You only remember things that were happy, sad, wonderful, dis- depressing, fearful, annoying. You remember things got intensity to them. So the past is really just a map or a presentation of the clinging, the emotional intensity that needs to be released. And this is this clinging, and you can you can sense that because when it happens, I feel gripped by it. When it happens, I really attend to it. Oh, what's going on? Oh, this. That. Oh, no, that. Oh, that was great. It suddenly it floods my attention. Yeah. You can be thinking about the future. Oh, what a wonderful this, that, the other. I'll paint the house. I'll do that. I'll decorate this, and you fall over because you weren't paying attention to the present. It can so flood you, visions of the future and the, and the possibilities, and the past can suddenly well up and overwhelm you. You're seeing somewhere and you suddenly find yourself breaking down with sadness, agitation. What's happening? This is your emotional body. Just like you've got the physical body, you have an emotional body. Emotional body is made up of everything where there's some strong emotional charge in it. The depression, the anxiety, the joy, the passion, the grief. That all that. And it keeps coming up. So you go to another country, you sit down, your emotional body says, Here I am again. (laughs) Remember? You travelled a thousand miles, you haven't got away from me. <laughs> yeah. How much of our life is spent trying to get away from our emotional body by doing something else? <laughs> Finding something to take the pain away, to cure it. And how do we do that? We go out, taste something, think something, meet somebody, do something. Suppress it. Do something. Meditate. Stop it. Make it go away. Change it to something better, more comfortable, more peaceful. No. 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 You need to discharge it. Just like you did by unplugging unskillful influences. The precepts. Just as you do with disconnecting, unplugging when you do sit meditation stop think, stop going out unplug and begin to unplug those outgoing energies returning then you need to unplug the emotional body and this means meeting it and this really is kind of where the whole nub of the four noble truths is you know because dukkha is painful <laughs> so it's not a philosophy it doesn't you know it's not a philosophy of the nature of the universe it's saying look there's a problem here it's called pain and there's a particular pain that you can cure. And it's, it's pain in this emotional sense. We feel inadequate, we feel critical, we feel frightened, we feel incomplete. You feel something. That's not an idea. And no ideas in the world are going to take that away. The most brilliant ideas in the world are not going to remove that. Yeah. So what does it take to... Release that. Well, the Buddha says, well, let's start moving into the body. What? Body? Yeah. Because that internal nervous energy is very closely associated with our emotional sense. As you know, when you get upset, you feel agitated in your body, your heart gets agitated. Yeah. When you get frightened, you get kind of gripping in, in the belly, tension in the belly, guts, shivering, unhappy. 
And so your emotions are really wrapped up in your internal body. They, you know, I don't mean the, I don't mean the, the physical body. I mean the nervous energy. Your nervous system is saturated with these emotional tendencies. So that, for example, we can just, you know, you hear a word and you fly off the handle. Mm-hmm. You lose it. It's that kind of immediate, same sort of reflex as happens with our body. You touch something, oh, yeah. Similar thing emotionally. Somebody says something to you, oh, you feel offended. You get the reaction. It's that. That's a nervous reflex. That's not an intellectual figuring out, right? So it's very direct. And and if you can begin to meet that and release it with the discharge, you find returning to this open state again. Oh, that's gone. I'm out of that. That emotional body is now dissolved. It's not that I'm not dead, I'm not insensitive, I'm aware, I'm tuned in, but all that grief, agitation, defensiveness, insecurity, desperate need to do something, be something, it's gone. Oh. Buddha, the cessation of dukkha is to be realised. Cessation of Dukkha. Now, you know, we can have all kinds of scholastic debates about different levels of consciousness and so forth. But we look at it very, you know, accessibly, practically, do you know when you're not suffering? <laughs> we're not stressful. We're not building a wall against something. We're not hoping for something else to happen. We're not trying to make something happen. We're not considering what's happening is something going wrong that you've got to deal with. Do you know what it's like when that stops? And it can stop. Because that entire world that we found ourselves complaining about, worried about, nervous about, feeling inadequate in, judged by, measured by, that is a projection of your emotions. You know, your emotional body projects this world. That's why when you walk, you can go somewhere and sit down and think, what do other people think of me? Am I doing okay? Of course, the people are different, but it's the same pattern. <laughs> you go to the meditation, well, am I meditating okay? Am I, am I as good as he is? She looks like she's been doing it a long time. How's he doing it? Or perhaps I can do it like him. He's doing the same thing. <laughs> and nobody's saying you've got to do it. You're just, just here. You know, with that sense of inadequacy still comes up. Now rather than say, well, you know, do this and do that, you won't feel inadequate. If you join the club, if you sit correctly, if you do this, that, that, you won't feel inadequate. No, the skillful way is to say, feel inadequate. Feel inadequate and explore it. Feel like you're getting it wrong and other people don't like you and you're completely wasting your life. Okay, let's have a look at that. How's that? Oof. Ooh, nasty. Unpleasant. Let's see. Is it possible just to take an out-breath with that? <laughs> I take an in-breath with that. and feel the ground beneath me. I feel the space around me. And relax my skin. I breathe and let that happen. I feel rather 
joyful the fact that breathing happens. I don't have to be good to breathe. <laughs> My breath doesn't have to be like somebody else's breath. It could be what it is. It doesn't have to be approved of by anybody. It's a gift. Why don't just stay with that? Because this is actually sane, steady. Mind doesn't proliferate. It's it's comforted. It's a gift. You know, and then you tune to that as it happens, and once that stressing has ceased, oh, something opens that was all confused, covered. And this is again what the Buddha saying, what's the origin of all this suffering? What really keeps it going? What what is the the fundamental cause and conditions that set you up to suffer? Distress, ignorance, you're looking in the wrong direction. You're looking at the wrong thing. You're looking at sights and sounds. You're looking at ideas and thoughts. You're looking at other people. You're looking at your opinions about other people. You're looking about your opinions about yourself. You're trying to get the right opinion. You're trying to be a good opinion. You're trying to make sure that other people have a good opinion about you. <laughs> You're wondering, which kind of person could have a good opinion about me? I don't think he is, but she might. Perhaps if I've, did some, if I've related to her, I'll get some good opinions going, because this is going to get you very busy. Ignorance gets you very, very busy. you're looking in the wrong direction and you could be doing that for 35 years and still keep doing it looking out looking at the wrong thing looking at productions of the agitated mind looking at creations of the disturbed emotional body looking at memories of the past looking at anticipations of the future Looking at all kinds of mentally constructed, emotionally constructed phenomena. Trying to find the right one. They'll make you feel comfortable and sure and good and okay. And there isn't one. You're looking in the wrong direction. (laughs) That's called ignorance. (laughs) So what's the... (laughs) And notice all of that as another strong feature to it. It's hungry. Or... Put it another way, it's thirsty. Yeah. And it's thirst is the, the English word for tanha, thirst. It's very thirsty. It needs more juice, more something, more thirst. Sight, sound, touch, taste. Thought. Keep me busy, feed me up, fill me up. And it's an insatiable thirst. It's not a decision, you don't decide to be thirsty. It's not some personal cranky thing that only a few people do, everybody gets thirsty. The unawakened mind is thirsty. Let's be realistic. So you want what is a thirst about? Trying to find fulfilment. Ignorance, you're looking in the wrong direction for it. So there is a kind of way you can use that and you turn that thirst more skillfully to motivation. I want to find the good juice. I want to find the good juice. So so ignorance is really the problem. And you can turn thirst into motivation. Where's the right thing? It's not coming from that, because I've done that for the last 40 years. It hasn't done it. What's the other kind of thirst? I want to be something. I want to, I really always want to be something. I want to be better, happier, good, cleaner, more light, more positive, useful, steadier, more stable. Concentrated meditator, that's what I want to be. Uh-huh. And how does that feel? Yeah, I've got some work to do. 
<laughs> I've got some work to do, but I'll keep going at it for a while anyway. I don't know if I'll make it because he's got it, but I don't have it. This is a book, it says, I can't, I can't do that. I don't think I'm going to make it, you know. <laughs> You're looking at the wrong thing. You're looking at the wrong thing. And what is looking at it? This sense of self that wants to become something else. That's what's looking at it. The wrong thing is looking at the wrong thing. <laughs> That's why it doesn't work. <laughs> looking at the wrong thing, the wrong thing is looking at the wrong thing in the wrong way. <laughs> so I mean, so let's be more direct. I want to become, I want to become a happier person. Yeah, that sounds very reasonable. And how does that become, I want to become a happier person feel? Well, I'm not there yet, but maybe I could be. Yeah, how does it feel? Well, not there yet. Is that not there yet? Is that comfortable or uncomfortable? Well, I'd like it to go away. I'd like to be fulfilled. <laughs> well, maybe that sense of not there yet, maybe that's the problem. Well, but I've got well, well, I've got to be somewhere. Well, where are you? Where am I? Uh, well, there's all this stuff going on. Yeah, yeah. But where are you in all that? I don't know. I can't find a no. You can't find a word for it, can you? You can't find an idea for it. You can't find a personality for it. You can't find a gender for it. You can't find any history for it. It doesn't want anything. That's the end of suffering, you know. Well, giving up of the wrong thing, searching for the wrong thing in the wrong way. <laughs> Instead, realize the right thing. And, then, it, and as you get just that moment, that constructed self that we sense and feel as a, almost like a body, a, a personality body, a sakaya, it's called, and it, almost like a, a being that I know so well, with his frustration and impatience and giving up and wanting and not wanting that one. That doesn't have to be here. Because it's just a constant process of these programs of craving and ignorance stirring the jitta ignorance and craving stirring the jitta creates the person who's trying to become free from suffering right. it's like you were you walk into the room and the floor is kind of wet so you your feet are muddy and you create these footprints on the floor. Oh dear, I've created a lot of footprints on the floor. I better mop it up. So you get a mop and you run around mopping up the foot. Oh, I've just created some more footprints. So I better run around faster to mop up these footprints. Oh, I've seen we've created some more footprints. Yeah. Well, what about if you just stopped, stood still, and waited till the floor dried out? That doesn't sound very productive, but it works. <laughs> it doesn't seem to get there very fast, but when you try to do it fast, look what happened, you create more of a mess. I really wanted to put a lot of energy into clearing that floor. Yeah, you might have done, but perhaps it required not a lot of energy, but restraint to bear with the impatience and the mess 
and the discord and just steady. I'm not in this. This is not getting to me. I'm not in this. I'm in this open place, not in this unsatisfactory place. So the Buddha says, in this very body, with perceptions and consciousness and mind, this is where that whole world of self arises. This is how you can keep spinning around in it. It can carry you. It can catch hold of your emotions. It can catch hold of your heart. It can capture your thinking mind. It can send you into states of anxiety and compulsion. It can make you feel depressed. And you can travel that world of yourself with its anxieties and concerns and impatience and frustrations and so forth. You can travel that and you'll never get to the end of it unless you penetrate. And this is also done in this very body with its perceptions and consciousness. And it's the ending. That is also realised in this very body with its perceptions and consciousness and feelings and mind. That's the way the Buddha said it. But we need to know what we mean by body. And we need to know how that relates to our emotional body, which we're in more. We look at it directly, directly, a lot of the time we're barely in our physical bodies at all. We're mostly in our emotional bodies or our conceptual bodies, our world of our thinking mind. So you've got to take that journey, thinking, 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 this, that should be there. What's actually happening in terms of the heart? Agitated, stirred, feeling I should be, must be, shouldn't be, should be, other people need me, I shouldn't, I've got to look after this, I must care for that. I shouldn't be such a demanding person. I should be a more polite person. After all the people have done to me, I should be this, that, and the other. Okay, yeah, everybody gets that. Everybody gets that. Let's just feel that. <laughs> Wrap your attention around that. What's happening? Uh, use your body and your breathing just to discharge the pressure of that, the intensity of that. I mean, it sounds kind of relaxing, but it takes quite a lot of persistence because these reflexes are so compulsive. You know, a drop and a finger snap, we can go into one of these patterns where we jump up and start getting proliferating and the self appears like, like a magic, you know, and it changes, you know, and it captures that also is something you begin to recognise. It's got a grip to it. Is grip being gripped, held, constricted? Is that pleasant? Unpleasant. Unpleasant. <laughs> Suffering, stress. Can you relax a grip? Yeah. What does relaxing? Mind, thinking mind doesn't know how to relax. It can only think. The emotional mind is saying, oh, this feels really bad. I really don't want this. Oh, my goodness, this is not good. I don't like this at all. <laughs> what, what does relaxing? <laughs> that does relaxing. <laughs> it takes quite a bit of persistence to get there. You know, because by default we're going to go into our, our responses and our reactions and ourself and what I should and what my father wants and what my mother wants and what I didn't do and what I could be and what my son needs and da 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 da. All this stuff is very convincing, it's very poignant, it's very moving, it's gripping, and it is suffering. And they're saying, okay, the so Buddha says, well, well, I'm saying, if you release that and you come to a place of centeredness, calm, openness, right? 
your, your emotional release, do you think in that particular state your actions will be for the welfare of others or will they be harming others? I say, well, if I'm in an open, relaxed state, I won't be harming anybody. Why should I? On a relaxed and open state, I won't be abusing people. No, why should I? I wouldn't do that. On a relaxed and open state, will I be speaking truth or falsehood? Well, I have to speak. I'll just say how it is. I'll speak truth. Why shouldn't I do otherwise? Do you think if you're in a relaxed and open state, do you think you've got a sense of sympathy and concern for others? Oh, of course. Why shouldn't I? If I'm not hanging on to my position, do you think I'll be a more tolerant, patient person or that? Oh, you'd be much more tolerant and patient. Right. If you look after your own welfare, really look after your own welfare, you must be. Your actions will come from a place of coolness, dispassion, generosity, tolerance, openness. It's going to be for the welfare of others. Practicing for your own welfare and for the welfare of others, you know, this is what I want to persist in. The future that arises from this, the way things move from this, will be for my welfare and benefit. How could it be otherwise? This is the best thing you can do. Bodies break up, sickness comes, but if I maintain this centrality, the best, I, the best that can happen for me will happen. And it comes time to pass away and die. And I've got that place where I can let things go and re- return to that open condition, open state. This is for our welfare in this life, in our death, for the welfare of others. Therefore it should be practiced. The Buddha taught it. He wouldn't have taught it if it didn't work. He wouldn't have bothered. <laughs> he wouldn't have taught it if you couldn't do it. Why should he waste his time? Because it's for your welfare, he taught it. Because you can do it, he taught it. Because it's true, <laughs> he taught it. It's just up for us to keep returning to that, returning to that, returning to that. Integrate. And the beauty of this is... Walking, sitting, moving around, walking out to the kuti, tidying up. You can be in that embodied condition. And you can use that as a way of mooring and moderating and releasing your mental positions, your emotional attitudes, your nervous reflexes, your compulsive stuff. This is a way we can live. This is the way we can really live. And if deathlessness means anything, it means life is good. (laughs) So off this for your reflection this evening.